Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. My guest, Steve Ray, is well known to you. He leads pilgrimages to the Holy Land, Rome, and other sites. He's a convert to the Catholic faith and author of a wonderful testimony story, Crossing the Tiber. He also has written an outstanding work of apologetics, Upon This Rock, which looks at the papacy. Recently, he's just released a new study on the book of Genesis. It's a substantial commentary. He's the host and producer of the Footprints of God DVD series. He's been to the Holy Land more than 200 times. And um, you can follow him at catholic-convert.com or footprintsofgodpilgrimages.com. You just got back from Birmingham. Birmingham, Alabama. Yeah. Yeah, I did. Yeah, the yeah. AW10 live show with Father Mitch Pacwa on the book of Genesis and bookmarks with Doug Keck. Oh, on the same book? On the same thing. On so the, I flew yeah, down yeah. and got two shows in one. Those are those are enjoyable people. They are you a know? lot of fun. Yeah, they yeah. are enjoyable, down to earth. Yeah, Father Mitch is just a he's a blast. Yeah, we met just after uh, just after I returned to the Catholic faith. He was coming through Detroit, and I had him on the air to talk about I think Catholics in the New Age movement. I think he had published that book, and we had a mutual discovery. We had a mutual friend. And that's the late Dr. Walter Martin. Oh, yeah. Kingdom of the Cults. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he had some fascinating stories. Huh. He also had some good spiritual advice for me. Yep. Tell you about it some other time. Yep. Okay. <laughs> well, here we are. We're in the Luminous Mysteries. Um, again, we've done uh, the visitation. Excuse me. We've done the um, Joyful done. Mysteries. We've done... Baptism in the Jordan on the Luminous Mysteries. We've done the Wedding Feast in Cana. And now we're to the Proclamation of the Kingdom, which I know you pray on the outslopes of the Mount of Beatitudes. Yep. I, one of the things I wanted to do with this whole shows that we're doing is to give people kind of me, since I've been there so often and been to all these sites, give people an idea of where they are and what they can think about while they're praying the rosary, just yeah, other sure. than just reading that. To, yep. The proclamation of the kingdom. Well, where was that? Well, that's the longest sermon of Jesus, three chapters in Matthew. Yep. That's there, and he's proclaiming the kingdom. So we we pray this mystery on the slopes off the Sea of Galilee, up and call it the Mount of Beatitudes. Not on top of the mountain, you point out, though. I don't think so, because, you know, if you go hear an orchestra, you don't, you don't, the orchestra's not above you playing down to you. Mm-hmm. It'd be mm-hmm. hard to sit in a chair, you know, looking yeah, right, up. Right, right, right. You'd fall over backwards. The orchestra's down in the orchestra pit, and you're up in the theater seats, and I think that's exactly what happened, because on the mountain there, it's, it is a conclave. If, if from the sea, it almost looks like a theater shape. Okay. And I think it says Jesus went up the mountain, because it's making the point that he's the new Moses going up the Mountains, that is right. sat yeah. and taught the people. And then what does he do? He reinterprets the law. But that's how Matthew describes it. But I don't. he did go up the mountain, but I don't think he went all the way. Right. He was at the right. base of the mountain. The people were all sitting like in a theater shape, and there's probably 20,000 of them. Yeah, I was going to ask, uh, we have a good estimate of that. That's probably 20,000, yeah. Is that, because is that based on the size of the amphitheater there? Yeah, but also it's based on the people were following him. Um, there weren't... There was maybe twenty five thousand Jews that lived up in that whole area along the Sea of Galilee. There, so at at any time it says that there were five thousand men only, not counting women and children yeah. and servants and everything. So you're you're considering there that um, when Jesus left Capernaum and went up on the mountain to preach, all ninety percent 
of Capernaum, and everybody went with him. Yeah, it drove yeah. the Pharisees crazy. He must have had some some voice. Oh, he well, yeah. But then here's the technology. See, you and I are using the technology of today using yeah. radio waves. You know, if you and I were sitting here talking, we could yell all we want. People across the street aren't going to hear us. The technology gives us the ability to communicate. Jesus knew the technology of his day. The Greeks and the Romans built their theaters on the sea, facing the sea, because the the breeze from the water carries the voice up. When I'm up there on that mountain of Beatitudes, I can hear the fishermen out on the middle of the sea talking to each other wow. in their normal yeah. tones because the 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 breeze it's like a microphone it carries it right up so jesus could he'd have to you know express himself but by staying at the base of there he could he could address them because the technology that breeze carried it up and he's in the right place they're in the right place and he could speak to twenty thousand people that's that's amazing so that's what people should think of what's going on here at the proclamation of the kingdom jesus is being presented as the new moses going up the mountain moses sat and taught and judged the people jesus sat and he taught the people new moses that's what matthew's trying to tell us jesus is the new prophet who is to come and he's reinterpreting the law for us yeah um, he's speaking to 20,000, uh, but we go to the Transfiguration, he's got a, a much smaller audience. There. Another mountain, though. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Another that's right. mountain. The, the uh, ancient people loved mountains because um, they were very useful. And also, th- there's always the idea of the high place. You get closer to God, away yeah. from the noise of the world below. Uh, on the Mount of Transfiguration, uh, people always asked how long did it take them to get up there. Well, I one day had to find out, so I drove over there, and I went up the top. I went right – not I didn't take the switchback roads. I went straight up, and it okay. took me 50 minutes to get up. That was when my knees were good. It took me 50 <laughs> minutes. So I figured it probably took them an hour and a half because they weren't going as fast as I was. Yeah. Yeah. And they get to the top. And the whole story of the Transfiguration – and this is what I would hope people think about – you have to understand Mount Sinai in order to understand the Transfiguration because Jesus, again, is being, in a sense, he's, his divinity is showing. God spoke on the mountain at Sinai. He also spoke here. In, at Sinai, Moses gave the prophecy. God says that there will be a prophet from among your own people, and when that prophet comes, listen to him. That was back in Deuteronomy 18. Mm-hmm. Listen to him when my special, not just any prophet, but the prophet. Yep, yep. When he comes, listen to him. What did God say from heaven when yeah. Jesus was transfigured? This is my beloved son. Remember Deuteronomy 18? This is the one. <laughs> here, listen to him. him. Yeah, yeah, hear him. <laughs> and um, the whole thing. At Moses' face was glowing, Mount yeah. Sinai. Jesus' face is glowing. A cloud came down. Clouds represent the glory of God. A cloud came down this here. This kind of glory. Yeah. That's right. And my favorite story of it is in Luke because there it says that Jesus was actually conversing with Moses and Elijah about his departure soon to take place from Jerusalem. Departure in Greek is exodus. Who's there with him? Moses. What did Moses lead? The exodus. Yeah. Jesus is now leading the spiritual exodus. None of this was lost on Matthew. No. You know, this we have to remember these are these may be surprises to us, but this the Gospel of Matthew is a literary work thought through, you know. I mean he he is uh it's crafted to show Jesus as the new Moses. Yeah. And uh yep. new Exodus 
Uh, and I think these two guys, why Moses and Elijah? Because when Jesus referred to the Old Testament, he didn't say like us, the Old Testament. He said the law and the prophets. Yeah, yeah. The, the scriptures are called the law and the prophets, two parts. Who's the father of the law? Moses. Moses yeah. Who's the father of the prophets? Elijah. Yeah. So they're the ones there. I think they're handing the baton on to Jesus in a sense. They're saying, Lord, we brought it all this way. Yeah. Now here's the baton. You take it. All the way to heaven. Yeah. All yeah. the way. We're going to go through the water like the Red Sea again of baptism. We're going to have the manna in the wilderness again. We're going to go through the wilderness, and then you're going to bring us into the promised land. So here, Jesus, take the baton. And another interesting thing there is that people think that Peter was kind of stupid for saying, well, let's build tents for us here. You know, stay here. But according to um, Ratzinger, Benedict uh, the Pope, that was the time of tabernacles or the feast of tabernacles and booths. And they were required by the Old Testament to build tabernacles. Tabernacles or tents to live so in. So he's, he's 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 very astute. due diligence here. Very huh? astute. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, uh, the relationship between the Great Commission. Yes, this this is where the Great Commission took place. Yeah. We we read Matthew uh, twenty eight, the last three verses, and uh, go out into all the world, teaching, baptizing, not just people but nations. Baptizing yeah. nations and lo- and baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Well, where did he say that? Right. Two verses earlier, it says, meet me at the mountain in Galilee. Well, the Mount of Transfiguration is where they just were just a couple of weeks before. You know, Now he tells them to go back there and meet me at the mountain. And why would he do that? Because Jesus loves a backdrop. And when you're on the top, you're 1,900 feet above the Jezreel Valley below. And on a clear day, you can see the Jordan Valley. You can see this, this uh, Mediterranean. And I think Jesus did it for effect. Go out into all the world, guys. Yeah. And he waves his arm. And Matthew, you go that way. And yeah. Peter, you go that way and sure. go out into all the world. Yeah. And yeah. that co- great commission took place on the Mount uh, of Transfiguration after the resurrection. Yeah, yeah. Very good. Very good. Uh, we're in the Luminous Mysteries Institution of the Eucharist. Yep. Very interesting. Um, that room in the upper room, it's still there today. You can go in it, although it looks like a mosque because the Muslims took it over and uh, they turned it into a mosque, and now it's a museum. It's like you can't have mass or anything. There, it's a, Jews have it in control of it, so anybody okay. can go and do what they want. The only time anybody celebrated mass there in, in recent memory is John Paul II, because of his clout. They let him. That's and this is where the first Eucharist was, and we can't celebrate the Eucharist. Yeah. There's something wrong with that. Yeah, right, right. But in that room, four sacraments out of the seven. You have the institution of the priesthood. You have the institution of the Eucharist, institution of confession, because that's where he said, those who sins you forgive will be forgiven. And since the Holy Spirit came down in that room, then there's the Holy Spirit. That's confirmation. So you've got four sacraments out of the seven in that one little room. Wow. And John chapter 6, that's where Jesus gives the promise of the Eucharist. Not the, John doesn't have the institution of the Eucharist. That's in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. That's right. But when you come into Capernaum, we're always the first bus because I hate lines. I like to be the first one. <laughs> and it says above the gate, the church of the promise of the Eucharist. That's where Jesus promised it at Capernaum in John chapter 6, eat my flesh and drink my blood. But then it was made real in the upper room when he actually celebrated that. And I just make two quick comments. There was There's a problem when we see this because... You have to have a priest to kill the lamb, and you have to have a lamb. And we don't see either one of those things ever mentioned here. 
But there is a priest. It's Jesus. He's the priest in the upper room. And there is a lamb. Jesus is also the lamb. When you do the Passover meal, you have to eat the meat of the lamb. You go back to Exodus. Moses said, you have to eat the meat of the lamb, and then when we're done, we can get up and go from this place, which is what Jesus said in the upper room after they finished. He said, let us go from this right. place. Same thing. But the, but he, why did he say, this is my body? Because you have to eat the meat of the lamb, yeah. and he is the lamb. Right. So this is, here's, this is yeah. what you got to eat. This is the meat of the lamb before we leave. See, it's I don't think people realize that, that this is why he said, this is my body, because he is the lamb and he is the priest offering himself. And it's also like the nuptial meal because, you know, he's giving the, the church is the bride. So he's giving his body, his whole body to the bride. The bride receives him into herself. It's a nuptial meal. Mm-hmm. It's where they become one. It's the covenant meal That's right. of a marriage going on in this upper room. It's just not, oh, here, eat some bread. And well, I, I took a, two groups to Oberammergau last year, and I was very disappointed because in the upper room, in the, this whole thing with the uh, Eucharist, Jesus, all he said is, here, t- take this and remember me. Eat this and remember me. That was it. That's it. Because it, they have really Protestantized it and secularized it. The director said we have to bring this play into the modern world and emphasize the social and less of the religious. So in the upper room, because it's very a lot of German Lutherans and Protestants, in the upper room, he takes the bread, he breaks it, said, eat this and remember me. Uh, oh, yeah, it's infuriating. But the, but the beauty of what actually happened in that room, this nuptial meal, this kind of like a marriage meal right. between the two becoming one, and Jesus the lamb giving um, the bread, uh, giving his body to the people to eat the lamb so they can get up and go. And it's, a re- again, rehearsal for the marriage oh, supper. it's absolutely. Yeah, at absolutely. the end. It's end fantastic. Of There's so much to say. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and uh, music just came up. Yeah, uh, we're going to take a break. We'll come back, continue conversation with Steve Ray. We'll begin looking at the sorrowful mysteries: uh, the agony in the garden, the scourging at the pillar, the crowning with thorns, the carrying of the cross. And uh, so, stay with us. And we're going to do as much as we can to get through the uh, mysteries of the Rosary: the who, what, when, where, why of the mysteries. I'm Al Cresta. Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresto with me, Steve Ray, taking a look at the mysteries of the rosary, the who, what, when, where, why. We've just finished up the luminous mysteries, and now we get to the sorrowful mysteries, which begin in the agony in the garden. Um, and th- th- this is a visually, it's an impressive place. It is. Yeah. It is. And there are six trees in that garden that are over 2,000 years old. <sighs> And olive's trees don't die. They continue to grow. You have to destroy them, actually, to get them to die. And those trees, biologists have said, are over 2,000 years old. I like to say, if those trees had ears and eyes and a mouth, they would tell you what they heard and saw the night Jesus was there. Those trees were there when Jesus was there. And and it says in John's Gospel that Jesus crossed through the Kidron Valley and entered a garden. And boy, you've got to stop right there, Al, and say, why a garden? Why does he mention a garden? Because he's taking you back to the primordial garden of yeah. Eden. And the first Adam brought about sin at the tree of life, and he was kicked 
out of the garden. Now the new Adam, Jesus, he's recapitulating. He's yep. starting like a yep. video rewinding. <laughs> Yeah, rewinding, yeah. and he has to step into a garden to do it because it's a picture of the Garden of Eden. And there he he does it. And interestingly enough, John also tells you that the cross and the tomb are also in a garden so that there's this garden, the Garden of Gethsemane and the Garden of the Cross and Tomb. There's this continuity so that it's all a picture of the Garden of Eden. Yeah. And you have a tree of life where Adam brought about death. Now there's a tree of death where the new Adam brings about life. Yeah. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, I will say that I think that's where the pain of the passion really took place. The crucifixion of Jesus was a merciful crucifixion in a way because it was only three hours. I was going to say it was short. It was short. And and there are records of keeping men alive for over a week. Can you imagine alive for over a week on the cross, hanging there, totally naked and abused and and just lost control of your bodily functions for a week? Jesus was only three three hours. But I think the real pain was here because this is where the sins of the world descended on him. And he who knew no sin became sin for us. Not a sinner, but a sin bearer. And he is – it never says that that God is – love, 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 or justice, justice, justice. But he is holy, holy, holy. And here the Holy One of God took all the sins of mankind into his own body. Can you imagine the spiritual, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Just the sense of that sin and alienation. So that happened in the Garden of Gethsemane. The agony was not just that, oh, I know I'm going to die. No, the agony was him taking on the sins of the world, and it was so bad. There's a a medical term called hematidrosis. that's where sweat actually bursts out of yeah, the under great sweat strain. glands, right? Yeah. Hema means blood, tedrosis is sweat. Yeah. And it's an actual medical condition. So Jesus, and we, we pray mass there at the rock where he sweat drops of blood. So people should think of this again as a, now Jesus is not the new Moses. He's the new Adam. And he's stepping into a garden at the agony, taking all the sins of the world on himself. And he's now about ready to redeem us and re, rewind or re... Re- recapitulate everything that the first Adam screwed up. Yeah, I, 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 Jesus is really uh, carving out a, a, diff- a new destiny yeah, he is. for the human race here. Right. Uh, and at the cross, <clears throat> it says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Why a serpent? Don't you think of Jesus should be represented on the cross as a lamb, not as on a snake on a pole, but at that moment in, in the Garden of Gethsemane, I think that's where he became the serpent in a sense because he took the sting of the serpent himself. He took death and the sin and the poison. All of that he took. And it says in First John that he took the devil and he destroyed him yeah. at the cross. Yeah. So that's why he's represented as the serpent. Yeah. Fascinating. Uh, scourging at the pillar. Yeah. Um, again, nobody can think of the scourging at the pillar if they've ever seen Mel Gibson's yeah. Passion of the Christ. Why? They... The imagery is just overwhelming. Yes. Um, Tell me, uh, the Jews were limited. They could only limit 40. They they could only lash. They could could use the flagellum for serious crimes, but they were limited to 40 lashes. And you notice that Paul says that he was, I think it was seven times that he was beaten like this. Yeah. And his back, when, when he says, I bear the brand marks of Jesus Christ, if it, what he means, you look at his back, you'll see the brand marks mm. of the lashes of the whip on his back. And so, but he said, I was lashed 40 minus one because the Jews were afraid they would miscount. That's right. That's right. And break yeah. the law. So that's they right. would always This just, is their hedge around <laughs> they the law. Built the hedge. Yeah. So, yeah. And so make sure we don't break the law. We're only going to whip them 39 times. But the Romans had no such limitations. Really? They could whip a person 
as long as they wanted. And they were gleeful about it because they were told this is the king of the Jews. The Roman soldiers were not from Rome. The leaders were, but the soldiers were conscripts from Egypt and Syria. They conscripted people into the army. And Egypt and Syria, and these were enemies of Israel. And so now they say, You've got, we've got the king of Israel, the king of the Jews. Let's, that's why they put yeah. the purple robe and a crown. They didn't do that with everybody. We got the king of yeah. the Jews. This is a these, lot of political theater. Oh, this is political yeah. theater at its best. And now let's we're teach this this king of the Jews, all of the animosity of those countries that hated Israel. You know, you see it today, too. Yeah. It's the same kind yeah. of thing. They're going to go after Jesus. So they, they could whip him as far as they want. And, and with those flagellums, they had bits of metal. There was no OSHA requirements, manufacturing requirements for these whips. These soldiers would sit around the fire at night and say, I got, I got a really good idea to make this more painful than one. And they would yeah. just they would make these whips with all the creativity they had to make them the most damaging. So when that lash hit Jesus with those little pieces of metal in it, the blood and the sp- and the pieces of flesh just splattered. If you were anywhere within 20 feet of that, you would have been splattered with Jesus's flesh, bits of flesh and blood. Mm. This is the the scourging at the pillar. I think Mel Gibson did a great job. Yeah. yeah. By his stripes, we are healed. Yeah, fulfilling uh, Isaiah's yeah. prophecy. Uh, we have then the crowning with thorns. Uh, this is... Um, is there any other record of this that no that anybody else getting the crown of thorns? No, this, there's two things I would say about this. One is they're again mocking Jesus as the King of the Jews, yeah. so they're going to put a crown on him. They said, "Oh, he's the King, eh? Let's make a crown for this King." And then they pa- they pounded it down. They said they took a reed, but that was a stick, and they whack whack down on his head. And I'm a bald headed guy, and I know how painful the scalp can be, and that yeah. that would have been. Unbearable, but I think it's also there's a typological uh, going back to Abraham offering his son Isaac, because when Abraham offered his son Isaac, he um, the, the the lamb the ram was his head was stuck in a thorn bush. Yeah, yeah. and when Jesus went to the cross. He was like Isaac. God was the only begotten. Abraham had his only begotten son, Isaac, and God had his only begotten son. And they were at the same place, Mount Moriah. And God the Father, his son also. His head was caught. His head was stuck in a thorn bush, the crown of thorns. Wow. Wow. And that uh, that crown of thorns, uh, that's a whole image. And also, what was the sign of the curse of the earth? Wasn't it thorns? Yeah, thorns and thistles uh, for your work, Adam. Right. And so I think that when Jesus wore the crown, he was also bearing, in a sense, the sign of the curse of the earth. Yeah. So he was not just redeeming us, but he was redeeming the cosmos, the curse on the earth, and even had the, th- the crown of thorns, which was the sign of that curse. Do we have any idea... Uh, coming up to the carrying of the cross. Do you have any idea what it weighed? I've read that it weighed between 100, 110 pounds. Okay. And so when the stations of the cross have said Jesus fell the first, second, and third time, it doesn't say he fell in the Bible, but it's common sense. He's been beaten. You saw, he's been, Thursday, he was put in a prison. It's, it's on Mount Zion. It's a, a big cistern where Caiaphas' house. We take our groups down in that cistern where he was over Holy Thursday. Then they beat the but Jeever's out of him, like in Mel Gibson's movie. Now he's he has, his tongue is swollen. He's in shock. He hasn't had anything to eat or drink. And he's got to carry this 110-pound yeah. yeah. beam of wood. Of course he's going to fall three times. He probably fell a lot more. That's why Simon the Cyrene had to come and help him. But What's car- the distance? 
Um, when we walk the Stations of the Cross, if we were just to keep walking, it's about 15 minutes. Yeah. It's, okay. a, it's, a, it's a good distance. Yeah. Um, it's not – in Mel Gibson's movie, it's a long walk way up, you see, yeah. to going – but it's not that far. Uh, and the, it would have been – through the city, even today, it's very difficult to do the Stations of the Cross during the day because there's shops and there's cats and there's <laughs> trash in the road. And right. there's – there's motorcycles. It's it's a walled city, but they still cars. If you live there, you can drive cars. And it's, it would have been, get this guy out of the way. He's getting blood all over my merchandise. Get him out of here. They, they didn't know who he was. I mean, some knew who he was, but this was a common occurrence. Right. They took him from the Antonia out to the gate, and they crucified people out there. Jesus not the only one. They crucified him outside the city gate. It was a billboard. Everybody coming in and out of the city saw it, and, it, and this Rome was a big billboard that read, "Defy the power of Rome, and this will happen to you." Uh, any speculation on why Simon the Cyrene was chosen? I just think he was a hapless a victim, in a sense. Yeah. But this is an interesting thing about it. Um, John tells us that Jesus carried the cross, and I think that goes back to Isaac carrying the wood of the sacrifice. Yeah. He's, yeah. he's the new Isaac, too. Jesus is the new Isaac, carrying the wood of the cross. But it, but the other ones say that Simon helped carry it because it was heavy. And I, I, I see him in his three-piece suit and his briefcase on his way to a business meeting, you know. <laughs> and they say, come over. I just bought this suit. I'm going to get it. Are you kidding me? But it was the best thing that ever happened to him because he – got too close to the blood of Christ and him. And we know that in later, in I think it's Mark's gospel, his sons Rufus and Alexander, who were the sons of Simon the Cyrene, wow. were leaders in the church, which meant that he must have been converted because of that encounter with Christ. And then his whole family came in because his two sons were leaders in the church a few decades later. Wow. Ah, that's great. It's a great story, not often told. Uh, did uh, Jesus? We say he fell three times, but you think more. I, I if I was, I mean, I'm G- given the the, 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 the pain, yeah, the, the pain, the suffering, and stumbling, the weakness, and nothing is even. The ground's not succulent. Not like yeah. walking on yeah. blacktop. It's yeah. everything is uneven and slippery. In yeah. the morning, it's the ground is from the dew. Even in the um, it's Jerusalem limestone. It's slippery. Uh, we get to the crucifixion. Um, as we're doing the Sorrowful Mysteries here. And uh, we're going to take a little bit of time on this. I see a break is coming right up here. And then we'll be also going to the Glorious Mysteries uh, in the next segment. We'll do the crucifixion, and then we'll pick up on the Glorious Mysteries. And then, um, you know, I think we may be able to get almost to the end. I think we will. Yeah, okay. (laughs) My guest, Steve Ray, the who, what, where, when, why of the Mysteries of the Rosary. Again, trying to understand these events, uh, how they're rooted in history, um, space, time. You've got, uh, we know a great deal about this era uh, of human history and much of the uh, scholarship regarding Second Temple Judaism has helped us understand better uh, these mysteries of the rosary. I'm Al Cresto, and we'll be right back. Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresto. With me, Steve Ray. Our topic, the rosary, the who, what, where, when, why 
of the Mysteries. And then we're uh, just at the close of the Sorrowful Mysteries, Crucifixion and Death. Uh, again, this is the this is the moment of our salvation. Yeah. Um, and again, as you pointed out, in the place he was crucified, there was a garden. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. If you don't think of the gallows or an electric chair being in a garden. But right. here is where they crucified people. And John tells you it's in a garden. Not the other three gospels, this one. And I think there's a pun. He kind of winks at us. Because if we miss the point that it's a garden, who did Mary Magdalene mistake Jesus for? <laughs> the, the gardener. gardener. And right. what was Adam in the original garden? He was the gardener. Tiller of the soil. Adam yeah. was a tiller. He was the gardener. Jesus is the new Adam, the gardener in a sense. But that's it has to be in a garden because he's rewinding history and undoing what the first Adam did did. Mm-hmm. And um, the scandal of the incarnation, God becoming man, can you imagine what the angel said? He's going to do what? Leave the glory of God and go down there and sweat and be hungry and have to go to the bathroom in a bush every yeah. morning? I mean, why would God, why would God do this? Yeah. And then the first scandal is bad enough, the incarnation, but then the scandal of the cross where he's actually going to die for us, God himself. So this is just what happens there. Now, also something else, and especially ties into the rosary because it's about, it's also about Mary, is when she was 15, when we did the earlier rosary mysteries, we talked about how the, it was a, the prophet comes up to her and said, a sword will, you can just see his white beard wagging, you know, while he's saying this, his old wrinkle face, a sword will pierce your soul also. Well, a 15-year-old girl with her cuddly little baby means, so a sword's going to hit my baby and me also? How does a 15-year-old girl process yeah, that? Yeah. She had to live by faith. She pondered it in her heart, but now at the cross, she knows. And there's that, that statue. I remember when you were sitting up there, yeah. when you went there with us, and there's a statue of Mary with that sword right in her chest. And it's just it's very, graphic. It's, it's, it's Stunning. very engaging. Yeah, you can't take your eyes right, off exactly. it. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I agree with you. Um, we have there the... In a way, the rebellion of the earth yeah. at his crucifixion. Yeah, I think we have the earthquakes and the sun went dark. I think the earth said, no, he's our creator. The earth understood. Just even nature reacted against it. Yeah. It yeah. just said, it, I could just see the, the cracks. And those cracks, you can see them at Calvary. The, up on top of there, the rock, you can still see the big crack in Calvary where those rocks cracked and broke. Um, that, that was really quite something. And also... You, Jesus has seven short words yeah. on the cross. Yeah. But of course there's short words because he's, he's yeah. rising up on his nail and his feet to just to catch a breath. And then he, oh, he's just gasping for air. He's not going to get an exposition. No, he's not yeah. going to give us the, – the Sermon on the Mount was three chapters long. You're not going to get that here. Right. So right. Um, another thing is uh, I, one of my favorite paintings of the crucifixion is Rembrandt's. Mm-hmm. And I've seen it in the Antikotopitic Museum in Munich, Germany. Alta Kona Pitta. I can't, it's a hard word to say. <laughs> anyway, it, it's called the raising of the cross. And when you look at it carefully, you see the guy that's pulling the hardest to raise the cross has a, a Dutch painter's beret on his <laughs> head. And that is a self-portrait of Rembrandt raising Christ on the cross. And then the guy behind him is the centurion and he has the sword, but he's holding the blade and he's handing you the handle. And he's saying, here, you put Jesus on the cross too. You run him through. Wow. Oh. Wow. And so if you want to see that, just look up Rembrandt 
raising the cross. The cross. And yeah. just look at that. It's Rembrandt who's raising it, and the centurion's handing you the sword. Handle first, so you can stab him in the side. So, well, uh, glorious mystery. Glory, we, we're yeah, doing it. We're, we're doing it. These. We're getting there. Of course, the resurrection leads off, and um, so many books have been written on this, uh, arguing uh, on the basis of the witnesses. Um, it, it is a, it's a it's a it's an amazing fact. Of history, yep. it's much more than a fact of history. But the point is, nobody has succeeded in coming up with a better explanation. No, and uh, I remember one time when I was first Catholic, and we were together, and there was a priest. I don't know if you remember this. Oh, I think I and know. you and I were together. We were both ran, brand new at coming back into the church. You and I just was a new convert, and yeah. he said we we're talking about this. He said that if you had a video camera in the tomb, you would not have seen the body raised because it was a spiritual. Yeah, event. I remember this, and I remember I I remember telling him. I said, Father, I'm a brand new Catholic, but that's heresy. You're a heretic. Yeah, because this is a bodily resurrection. Yeah, he, he was a New Testament scholar. Yeah, uh, who was in town. I, 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 I thought that. you might remember that. Was shocking. Yeah. yeah, it was for me. And it, it's a bodily resurrection. If I, it's, can, I can remember saying to him, "Look, Luke talks about the eyewitnesses that he's consulting with here." Yeah. So they saw something. If it's not a bodily resurrection, then our whole hope is wasted because yeah. uh, he hasn't conquered death. <laughs> right. The whole fact is, is he did come out of the tomb. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the curtain in the temple split and uh, all these things happened. And um, uh, all three persons of the Trinity were involved in that. The three persons of the Trinity do everything together. In Genesis, I showed how they created the world together. Mm -hmm. And they raised Jesus from the dead. Jesus said, I will raise my body. Remember? Yeah. He talked about that. I will raise it in three yeah. days. It says in Romans that the Spirit raised him. Yeah. God the, the Father. They yeah. all they worked together at that everything. Right. Yeah. So at that resurrection, all three of them were there doing that, uh, raising him from the dead. Uh, resurrection is followed by uh, the ascension. Yes. Again, this is essential to our faith. Absolutely. Uh, he, he ascends to the heaven. He sits at the right hand of the Father. Yep. Um, do you, can you find intimations of the ascension in the Old Testament? Well, one of the things I like to do is when we're standing on the Mount of Olives and, and we look up, especially if it's a cloudy day, he said he... And up, just imagine for three years you're with him. He's always on the ground, and yeah, then all of a sudden yeah. you're, he's talking to you, and he starts going up, and it's got to be. It was, and the last thing you see is the bottom of his dirty feet, you know. He's, he's, <laughs> and he goes into a cloud, with a cloud because it a cloud always represents the glory of God, right. the power and the so he's going back up into the glory of heaven. That's what the cloud is symbolizing. So think of that when you're praying the mystery of the ascension. But if you want to know where did he go, where, where did he go? He went in the clouds. But you go back to Daniel chapter 7, and it says, I saw in the night visions with the clouds of yeah. heaven. There came one like the Son of Man. Yeah. And he came to the Ancient of Days, God the Father. And he was presented before him and given dominion and glory and a kingdom. And nations and the nations and language will serve him. And he has a kingdom that will never be destroyed. So you look in the ascension. Where did he go? Go back to the Old Testament. You see what happened on the other side of the cloud. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's right. Presented to the Father and, and given a kingdom. And, he, and the interesting thing is, El, he today still has that physical body. When he took on the incarnation and became a, man, a human with a body, 
when he went up into heaven, he still has that body in heaven. Mm-hmm. And the catechism says that. And it's scarred. And, and well, you'll be able to see the scars exactly. Yeah. And yeah. it's also seen because in Revelation chapter 5, it says that I looked and I saw before the throne of God a lamb standing, yet mm-hmm. those slain. It's the Passover lamb. Jesus is the Passover lamb. And you can still see the wounds of that. Yeah. And one of the great paintings called The Adoration of the Lamb is out in a field. The lamb is there and his throat is slit and the blood is gushing into a golden chalice. And it's yeah. a picture of what God sees in the morning. When he wakes up and he wipes the sleep from his eyes, first cup of coffee, what does he see? He sees the sacrifice of Christ, the yeah. bodily form of Jesus. That's why we have the crucifixes in the church, so we can see the same thing God sees. Yeah, yeah. Um, you, you quote the catechism here. He who exists as the Son of God before all ages, indeed as God, of one being with the Father, is seated bodily after he became incarnate and his flesh was glorified. Yeah, and that's something. Yeah. He's going to take us bodily into heaven, too, to experience the same thing. And interesting, it's a sorrow. The the ascension is, it seems, you know, great, joyful. It is a glorious mystery. But for Mary, it was a sorrowful thing because she was saying goodbye to her son. Yeah. She... Even during his ministry, she didn't have access to him like she did earlier when he was a boy and a young man. But now she watches her son, and yes, it's a glorious thing for her, but she sees her son go up to see it with the right hand of God the Father, but she has, she's saying goodbye to him because she's not going to see him physically here anymore, yeah. which is a sad yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, it- and he didn't look back up in the cloud and say, hey, guys, don't forget to read my book. <laughs> Jesus didn't leave a book. What Jesus left was 12 men, yeah. and they taught and practiced, which became the tradition. And part of that tradition was written down and became the book. And Let's do the descent yep. of the Holy Spirit. Okay. We're talking about Pentecost. Um, this is where the third person of the Trinity kind of comes into his yep. own. In the Old Testament— God finally gets the Jews to accept the fact that there's one God. Took him a long time. Finally, okay, God takes a deep breath and he says, now I'm going to introduce you to the second person, my son. Those are, that's the Gospels. <laughs> now in the book of Acts, the descent of the Holy Spirit, he takes another deep breath and he says, now I'm going to introduce you to the third person of my family, of our, of our Trinity here, the Godhead. Here's the Holy Spirit. So the descent of the Holy Spirit took place in the upper room, same place of the institution of the Eucharist. The descent of the Holy Spirit came down. The, they could hear the wind blow. Again, this is Sinai. Yeah. They're on a mountain. Fire came down. At Sinai, fire came down on the mountain. But here, it's much more personal. God is coming now to dwell with the people. And they were afraid. And I think they were afraid of God in, in this upper room because when God came down in fire on Mount Sinai, they ran and hid and said, don't you ever let God speak to us again. From now on, you go talk to him and come yeah, back and tell right. us what he says. Yeah. Now they're going to they're on another mountain and the Holy Spirit's going to come down. God's going to come down. And it's going to be in fire. Don't think they weren't scared. What the heck does that mean, fire? And it came down on each of their heads. So they mentioned 120. Yeah, 120. That's interesting because in the Mishnah, and it doesn't say 120 people. It says 120 names. Oh, that's interesting. So now that's like if I'd have 50 people on a bus and I say, hey, Al, we, Al, we had 50 names on our bus. And yeah. So I had to look it up. And I found that in the Mishnah, the tradition of the Jews at the time of Jesus, one of the rabbis says that if you if there's a group of people that want to leave the main community and go out and start their own new city or government, their own new community, they had to have 120 names oh, on a list. So what's happening to the church? They're the called out ones, Ecclesia called out, and they're going to start a new community called the church, and they needed 120. Yeah. 
And by the way, the Knesset today, the Parliament of Israel has 122, still based on that. Fascinating. Uh, The Assumption of Mary, uh, again, uh, there's a difference between the Ascension of Jesus and the Assumption of Mary. One, the Ascension is when you go up with your own rocket pack. (laughs) You go up on your own power. (laughs) The Assumption means you're assumed. Someone, she's not God. She right. can't do this. So somebody has to, like Elijah the prophet was assumed into heaven. Enoch was. Mary was assumed. Her son reached down and he brought her up. And it's very much like what happens in the book of, of first, uh, Second Kings 2. Um, no, I'm sorry, First um, Kings chapter 219, when Solomon, his mother, walked into the room. He's the king of Israel, and he bows to his mother, and then he makes a new throne at his right hand, yeah. and he sets his mother on the throne. And from that point on, through the whole history of Israel, there was always a queen mother, not the wife. It was always the mother of the That's king. That's right. And she was the queen, and she was an intercessor for the people. And if the son, if her son took the throne as a young man, say that he inherits the throne, his father dies, he's only 10 years old. Who's going to teach him how to be the king? His mother is. She's seated at his right hand. Coronation of Mary will be done. Yes, coronation of Mary. (laughs) Revelation chapter 12, verse 1. Behold, I looked into the heavens and I saw the woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She's the one that gave birth to the one who who ruled the world with a rod of iron and the devil went out to do war against the rest of her offspring. Who's that? That's us. Mary's not only the queen, but the mother of the church. It's right there in the book of Revelation chapter 12. (laughs) Nobody reading that in the first century would have doubted the connection with Mary. And we did it, Al. We did it. We got got it. Good Steve, thanks again. You're welcome. It was a fun time, and I love being with you. Thank you, Al. (laughs) Steve Ray, follow him at catholic-convert.com and footprintsofgodpilgrimages.com. I'm Al Cresto. Be right back.